Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers the best of what's new in the search for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease treatments. I'm Shanti Skiffington, your host, and today our guest is Dr. James Kupiak. He is a chief medical officer at Promise Neurosciences, and he's going to share some new information about biomarkers that came out of the AAIC that is the Alzheimer's Association conference that we've been speaking about. It's the largest one dedicated to the disease. And Jim has a lot of great new information about biomarkers to share that's uh, very hopeful. So Jim, thank you for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. I'm delighted to have been invited. So we explained what biomarkers are and their importance in some earlier episodes, episodes three and four. But Jim, for our new listeners, Could you explain Mm -hmm. what biomarkers are and why they're so critical, particularly in Alzheimer's disease research? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So biomarkers are objective quantitative measurements, and they reflect some aspect of human physiology or disease, and they help us to make a diagnosis more accurately or even confirm how a disease is responding to a particular therapy. So, I mean, think about blood cholesterol. Everybody knows about blood cholesterol. And the higher the level, the higher the risk of developing vascular damage, heart attacks, and stroke, and it responds to drugs like Lipitor. But in the clinical studies that we conduct, we use biomarkers to tell us about the safety of an investigational compound. Uh, Biomarkers help us optimize the selection of patients for a particular study. And that's a really important point because the accuracy of even the best physicians to make the correct diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease before entering a patient into a clinical study, it's about 70%. So we need something much better. Uh, We need good biomarkers in all the neurodegenerative disorders in order to tell us that our investigational therapy is having a meaningful and measurable impact on the underlying disease. So, So here's the problem. As opposed to small molecules like cholesterol, the key biomarkers of interest in neurodegenerative disorders are very large proteins. They leak from brain cells into the cerebral spinal fluid, and eventually they find their way into the blood, but the levels in the blood are very low. Plus, these brain proteins that get into the blood, they get degraded or chewed up very quickly because they're perceived as as molecular garbage. However, in the last few years, um, we have these new immunologic and mass spectroscopy techniques, and they've permitted us to accurately measure these brain proteins in the blood at much, much lower concentrations than we typically have been able to measure in the past. So the AAIC meeting was just filled with presentations on many different types of brain disease biomarkers. Many of them are under development as simple blood-based tests, and they can certainly save the patient the trouble of a lumbar puncture to secure cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, They can also negate the need for a patient to undergo a $5,000 PET scan to look for markers of the disease. And I think, in, I think to summarize, many of my colleagues in the research community are appropriately calling this panoply of various blood and CSF biomarkers a, quote, liquid biopsy, unquote. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I loved your analogy about cholesterol and uh, heart disease. And also, it sounds like biomarkers will not only save the medical system a lot of money, but also be much easier on the patient. So I can see why there's a lot of excitement. So as you mentioned, there's a lot of biomarker activity at AAIC. And one that I read about a lot was the plasma biomarker to detect the early stages of Alzheimer's. 
And I believe this research came from a team in Japan led by a Dr. Nakamura. And the New York Times wrote about this also. So can you tell us about this specific biomarker? Yeah, this is a biomarker for a blood-based biomarker for beta amyloid. And beta amyloid is the sticky protein that accumulates in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's disease. It's one of the two misfolded aggregated proteins that must be present in the brain at autopsy for a pathologist to make the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. The other, the other protein is tau. Imaging experts over the years have designed radioactive tracers that will bind these proteins and provide physicians an imaging approach to assist in making the diagnosis while the patient is still alive. And the, the other approach is to secure uh, cerebral spinal fluid via lumbar puncture in order to actually measure these proteins. The, the problem is that it's difficult to use PET scans or lumbar punctures across a very large at-risk population to locate individuals that might participate in clinical studies or that might benefit from the disease-modifying therapies being worked on by many companies. So the question asked by the research community is whether we can ever design a highly accurate blood-based assay to give us the same information, but without the cost and time and discomfort associated with these other techniques. So Nakamura and colleagues in Japan published a really important paper last year on a new technique using a combination of immunoprecipitation and mass spectroscopy to more accurately measure the brain-derived beta amyloid protein in blood. This was a major, major step. Randy Bateman and his team at Washington University in St. Louis had also been working on their own approach, similar but different. And they published initially a technical paper two years ago describing some aspects of their new assay. But at AAIC, Dr. Bateman gave a much more comprehensive report on this work. And in fact, the WashU research team just published this work on August 1st. So they used this new technique, and they measured beta amyloid in both the blood and cerebral spinal fluid from 158 mostly cognitively normal individuals and compared these data to amyloid PET scans in the same individuals. And as I alluded to a little earlier, many researchers view the amyloid PET scan as the current gold standard. So this new technique from WashU accurately diagnosed the amyloid presence in the brain and in fact showed that plasma amyloid levels are elevated even before the amyloid PET scan turns positive, which is pretty amazing. To be even more specific, these individuals who had an abnormal blood test, but a negative amyloid PET scan, well, they had a 15-fold higher risk of converting to a positive amyloid PET scan over time. So it appears this new test has great diagnostic and predictive value. The, the, the WashU team used this beta amyloid assay in conjunction with a blood-based genetic risk factor. And they found that this combination could really significantly enhance predictive accuracy and value of the screening approach. Specifically, this screen could significantly reduce the number of what we call confirmatory PET scans required to select individuals for participation in Alzheimer's clinical studies. So I, I agree that the use of this tool to screen for clinical trial participation is really quite valuable and will save the research community literally millions of dollars in shortened clinical trial timelines. But I also believe it's just a matter of time until it will be used in the office as a blood test for Alzheimer's disease to identify patients who might benefit from the disease-modifying treatments that will eventually be developed 
and available to patients. And that's really sort of the, the exciting view of the future. Yes. Well, that is truly um, a remarkable advance with huge patient benefits. Um, speaking of patients, there was some discussion about patients with Down syndrome at AAIC, and I've seen some news articles about it since that time. Can you share with us why this patient population is important in the search for a treatment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the key fact you need to understand is that patients with Down syndrome have the highest genetically-based incidence of Alzheimer's disease. They have a third copy of chromosome 21, and, and most people know that this genetic defect is associated with physical growth delays, moderate intellectual disability, and characteristic facial features. But chromosome 21 also codes for the amyloid precursor protein. So these patients have an extra copy, and they begin to accumulate beta amyloid deposits in their brains earlier in life and at a faster rate than patients who are much older and have what we call sporadic Alzheimer's disease. It's sad, but the large majority of Down syndrome patients go on to develop dementia due to Alzheimer's disease. So because of this certainty and because of the strong motivation of the Down syndrome patient community to participate in clinical research, clinical researchers in the EU and in the U.S. have begun to characterize these patients with respect to clinical findings, and biomarkers. So we know, for example, that neurofilament light, or NFL, is elevated in Down syndrome, even if the patients don't have symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, and that these levels increase very rapidly after age 40. Uh, NFL is a great biomarker. It reflects damage to neurons, and we know from other neurologic diseases that its levels normalize after therapy is provided. So there's already a large group of patients with Down syndrome who have been fully characterized, and there are research sites already established to test investigational therapies in these patients. Now, at Promise Neurosciences, we plan to work with the Down syndrome patient and research community to assess whether one of our compounds, PMN310, has the potential to benefit patients. So we can measure NFL and other biomarkers as early as phase one to determine whether we should continue to invest in this therapeutic approach or try something different. And if it works to modify Alzheimer's disease in patients with Down syndrome, it should also work in sporadic AD. And that's why there was so much attention given to the Down syndrome patient population and clinical studies at AAIC. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, shifting to another name coming out of AAIC, uh, Dr. Eric Riemann. So his name was another that was highlighted at the conference. And can you explain why? Yeah, absolutely. It's Dr. Ryman, and he is the executive director of uh, the Banner Alzheimer's Research Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. And, and he and his colleagues at Banner established um, a, a, an initiative called the Alzheimer's Prevention Initiative a number of years ago. It was, it was an attempt to rapidly, it is an attempt, I should say, to rapidly evaluate promising prevention therapies, particularly for cognitively unimpaired persons who are at great genetic risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. You may have um, seen the 60 Minutes show two years ago on a large population of persons in Medellin, Colombia, and they carry a rare genetic mutation that makes them 100% certain to develop Alzheimer's disease, usually in their mid-40s. And the large number of families with this mutation was pretty much unearthed by Dr. Francisco LaPera and his team at the University Hospital Medellin. 
Eric and his team at Banner have been working very closely with Dr. LaPera and his team in Medellin to better understand the underlying neurobiology of their disease and to provide many of them the option of participating in clinical studies with cutting-edge investigational therapies. So what Eric did at AAIC is reported on behalf of the joint team their research on plasma NFL in 2,144 mutation carriers and age-matched controls. This was, in my view, truly a scientific tour de force. So here's the amazing finding. These teams showed that NFL as a biomarker in mutation carriers begins to differ from the non-mutation carriers some 22 years before their estimated age of developing cognitive impairment. Very predictive. And the higher the NFL levels, the worse their cognitive testing. These are unpublished data, but the predictive strength of the NFL biomarker is truly very, very impressive. If you combine these data from Columbia with existing data sets, you can truly understand why many of us are very excited about using NFL as a biomarker, particularly in our very earliest clinical studies as we attempt to demonstrate the potential value of our investigational therapies. So certainly many of us hope to work with Dr. Ryman, Dr. LaPera, and uh, work on the, in this patient population to provide uh, a potential disease-modifying therapies Absolutely. in the years ahead. Uh, so shifting to disease-modifying therapies, um, let's talk about the amyloid hypothesis, which has uh, guided the majority of therapy development efforts for the past two decades. Um, it's taken a beating in the popular press because of a lot of high-profile cl- clinical trial failures that were targeting amyloid. What was what was the mood like at AAIC? Yeah, to be honest, I think the mood was a bit mixed because it's been a very tough year with all these very public clinical trial failures. So, um, some frustration was expressed by my colleagues because they realized it may be a number of years until the next big therapeutic hypothesis is uh, proven in the clinic. But you know, everybody I know that is actively developing drugs seem pretty excited about the availability of these new biomarkers to accelerate early drug development and test the impact of the disease-modifying therapies that, have, that are being tested by their companies. In fact, many, of the, many people told me that they've already incorporated NFL as a key biomarker in their clinical studies. So, I mean, in my view, our, our understanding of the underlying neurobiology of Alzheimer's disease has advanced so much in the last decade since these failed programs were designed. We, we now have a much better understanding of the targets to go after, And based upon what I've shared with you already today, we now have a much better and incredibly great biomarker tools that will enhance our chance of success. So these biomarkers are transformative in the field. And I I really, really couldn't be more optimistic about the future of potential drugs for Alzheimer's disease. That's great. That's great. We need optimism in Alzheimer's disease. Um, And this has been really, really great. It's also great to hear that NFL is already being used. Uh, because my next question was, when when will these biomarkers be in regular use in clinical trials to help speed these develop uh, speed these drugs to the finish line? Yeah, well, as I just stated, it's, it's already happening as we speak. Um, uh, there are a number of other biomarkers that are really quite interested 
interesting and quite informative. And it's just a matter of a short period of time uh, until they are also available to contribute to the liquid biopsy approach to understand how to better diagnose and better treat patients with Alzheimer's disease. So uh, the, the future is now and will only continue to accelerate. It's great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And this is exactly why we have this podcast is to get beyond all the negative headlines and talk about really all of the great things that are happening that may not, you know, make it into uh, the headlines. So we really appreciate you joining us and hope that you'll join us again.